This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read uh, from verse 14 on. Have you found it? Got your note pen ready? Who brought their notebook? Good. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 says this, So then, since you have a great high priest, not just a high priest, a great high priest, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firm to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will be... There we will receive his mercy. We will find grace to help us when we need it most. The first thing I see in this scripture and the first thing I see in this, you know, just a short passage um, that I've been mulling on this week is the fact that we have a high priest. And it got me thinking this week, what is the difference between a priest and a high priest? You know, why is it that... The term for Jesus that's used here in Hebrews is that he's our high priest, not just a priest, not just another minister, but he's the high priest. And so I did a little bit of research about what the high priest did compared to what the priest did. And basically the, the shortness of my study basically came to this, that the high priest was above all the other priests. So he was the boss. He was the one that was in charge of all the other priests, all the um, Sanhedrin and everyone, all the teachers of the law actually came under this person called the high priest. And I want to encourage you that God has positioned you in his kingdom as sons and daughters, but he's also um, positioned you in the kingdom as priests or priestesses, depending what gender gender you may be. And so the high priest is above you as a priest in the kingdom. See, originally in the life of the children of Israel, the high priest had to come from the line of Aaron's descendants. So a high priest couldn't come unless it came directly from that from Aaron's descent. But as time moved on, that shifted and a high priest could be from other descendants other than the descendants of Aaron. So in the New Testament times, the high priest could come from the tribe of Judah as Jesus was. And so we need to understand that he is the high priest. That means he is the boss. He is the one that has established authority. He is the one that is in charge. He is the one, and not just a high priest, we have this great high priest. Now, when I vision and when I see in my mind and in my imagination, when I see someone who's a high priest, I actually see someone who's lofty and I see someone who is almost unreachable and unattainable, unapproachable, because I think it's interesting because Jesus is brought before the high priest you know, and, you know, this clash in the spirit happens where Jesus is placed before the high priest, but ultimately he is the great high priest. And so I think of this in the natural and particularly in the New Testament times where the priests had set themselves up as someone who was above everyone else. 
And Jesus is saying that is not our priestly duties to set ourselves up above anyone else. You are no greater than the person sitting next to you. Isn't that exciting? They are no greater than you. I am no greater than you and you are no greater than me. We are all on the same playing field and on the same level when it comes to the kingdom of God. That's what I love about the kingdom of God. The cross is the great equaliser. It doesn't matter what creed. It doesn't matter what family history you have. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter who you are. The cross levels out that playing field because the Bible says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So therefore, all of us, every single one of us, needs the great high priest. And so this great high priest is not unapproachable. He's actually approachable. He says this, come, opens his heart, opens his life, opens his will to us. But the thing I appreciate about this high priest called Jesus is he has been where we walk. He has been where we walk. He understands us. In Hebrews there, it actually says, because we have this high priest, we need to hold firm. You know, I want to encourage you, church, just hold firm. Just keep hanging on. You might say, oh, but Pastor Trevor, I've been hanging on for a long time for these promises. I've been hanging on that God will break through in an area of my life that he's promised. Well, has he changed his mind? I don't think so. He's just telling you to hang on. He's just telling you to keep holding on. He's just telling you, come on, no. And in actual fact, when we're in the presence of our enemies, maybe we just need to sing a little bit louder. Maybe we just need to stand a little bit stronger. Maybe we just need to go, well, hang on, cancer, you have no right in my body, so get out in the name of Jesus. You know, last night we looked at the fact that when you get a revelation of who the Father is, it changes your perspective of who you are, but it also brings a reality and it brings an understanding of the authority that you have in Christ. And so therefore, you know, because that whole thing last night what I was preaching about was about the fact that when you understand who he is, all of a sudden you understand the authority that you have and then you're able to ask anything in his name and it happens because you understand the authority from where you ask. And so I wonder to myself some days, why don't we ask? Maybe we're not asking because we not have that full revelation of the authority we've been given. So it says there to hold on, to hold firm. Not just hold firm to anything, but hold firm to what we believe. I'm going to read it again. Since we have, uh, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. I want to tell you, there's beliefs in my life that I have to hold firmly to. But there's other beliefs that I have to willingly let go. There's times when there's a belief that has been instituted into my life because of maybe my family history, because of maybe my upbringing, because of maybe my school teaching, because of maybe what someone has said, because of maybe it's come in through my own um, errant teachings that I've listened to and that sort of stuff. And so those beliefs I have to get rid of. Those things that don't line up with the Word of God, I have to be willing to let them go. I have to be willing to say, you know what, that's not a part of my life because it's not a part of the kingdom. But the things that are part of the kingdom and the beliefs that line up with the word of God, you know what, I need to hang on to them. doesn't matter what happens to the left or right of me. I just need to say, you know what, if God has said it, I'm just going to hang on to it. So it says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 
And I guess my challenge to you today is what are you choosing to believe? What is it that you're choosing to believe? You know, we've sang some great songs today about in the presence of our enemies how we're going to sing songs of victory. You know, that's a belief. That's a belief. I love that picture and I know sometimes I mention it when we sing that um, that Raise a Hallelujah song because it brings that picture, um, but it probably hasn't helped this week that I've just read the first five books of the Bible this week and, and so it talks about the fact of things like, you know, when their kings were captured, you know, that they brought them into the presence of the conquering king. They brought that captured king into the presence and so the victory meal could be eaten. So, so it was like that moment where it's like, you know, in, my, in, in the enemy's presence, in the enemy's presence, we're able to eat a victory meal. Why? Because the battle has already been won. Because Jesus, our great high priest, has been there before us and he offers us a way in his kingdom where we can live in his authority and in his love. So it goes on to say this, it says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses. Sometimes my effort to hold on becomes weak. Sometimes my effort to hold on becomes troubled. And we actually looked at it last night, uh, Saturday Night Live, about how in life sometimes we can have moments of brilliance, but we can also have moments of stupidity as well. And we looked at Peter, the apostle, where it was like, and actually, let's read Matthew chapter 16 because we'll read his moments of brilliance. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, this is verse 16 onwards, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Isn't that exciting? Have this moment where the apostle Peter or Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say I am? And Peter goes, I've got it. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus went, bingo. Not that Jesus played bingo, but he says, you've got it. You got it. The revelation has finally moved from here to here. The revelation of who I am has finally gone from your mind. It's filtered through and now it's part, not just part of your life, it is your life. And so there's this moment where it's like Jesus says, woohoo, you got it. And then he makes that statement about the fact that this revelation didn't come from man's teaching, this revelation came from a relationship with the Father. And then he goes on to say, And he encourages Peter about the fact that the keys of the kingdom are placed in his hand because of the revelation he just received. But then if you continue reading, you get his moment of stupidity where it's like Jesus went on to teach them about the fact that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of of, of the religious people. And then what happened was Peter pulled him aside and started to rebuke him, pulled him aside and chastised him and said, surely not, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus makes that statement where he says, get behind me, Satan. And so Peter goes from a moment of brilliance to a moment of stupidity all within a short period of time. See, we need to sort out our belief. And if you're taking notes today, I'd encourage you to write that down. Sort out your beliefs. Because until we understand what we believe, we're not sure what we're going to stand on. See, 
We need to hold firm, but what are we going to hold firm to? We need to sort out those things that we're going to hold firm on. What I did was I did an exercise in my life a number of years ago when I read a book about the importance of core values in, in our lives. And I wrote down a list of core values that were just for me. list of core values that were just for Trevor. And these core values weren't your core values. They're not even Pastor Lynette's core value, even though we're one because we're married and, the Holy, and the God says that two become one. But, you know, it's my commitment to God. And some of these core values um, in my life, they ring true. But the reason I wrote them down and the reason I have a list of them is that they're the things that I am not going to compromise on. They're the things that when push comes to shove, when opportunity arises, I will never, ever, ever compromise on my core values. Now, you might say, how can you be sure, Pastor Trevor? I can't, but that's my commitment. My commitment is they're the things in my life that I'm going to hold firm to. They're the things in my life that I've settled with the Holy Spirit, with God, where I've said I've sorted out these beliefs as being important and core to my life. As a church, we have a number of core values. Those things that we are committed to and those things that we endeavour to work on, and it's quite a large list because we encompass a large area. And so when something is presented to us, if it doesn't line up with our core values, it's easy to say no. You know that moment that Joseph found himself in with Potiphar's wife, where it's like she said to him, come sleep with me, because of his core values, that he wasn't going to disrespect his master and therefore disrespect God, he was able to say, no way, Jose, and he fled. He was able to say, I'm out of here. That decision didn't even need prayer and fasting. It didn't need that moment where it's like, well, let me think about this. You know, let me wonder about this. Let me consider it. No, that moment in his life was able to be rock solid because he had a core value in his life that he was not going to disrespect his master. And because he wasn't going to disrespect his master, because he'd sorted out his beliefs, he was able to say no in an instant. The reason we struggle with decision is because we haven't got a core value in that area. Let us hold firm to the revelation that the Father gives us. Let us hold firm to the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Let us hold firm to those very things that Jesus has revealed to us in his word. And as we hold firm to them, what is actually able to happen in our life is that we sort out our belief. See, verse 40 says, Jesus responded, no, sorry, John chapter 11, verse 40. Let's turn there, John chapter 11, verse 40. Exercise to sort out your beliefs. I'd encourage young people to do it at an early age. Sort out your beliefs, your core values at an early age. But don't just set your core values and then just stick them in the drawer. You've got to review them. You've got to look over them. So John chapter 11, verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? This is Jesus talking to Martha about Lazarus. And there's this moment where he says, well, didn't I tell you if you held firm to your belief that you would see the glory of God? Can I encourage you that even in those moments where we're holding firm and we're not seeing the glory of God, we just need to hold firm because glory is coming. God's glory is coming. 
if we hold firm to what he tells us to hold firm to. That's why it's important to sort out our beliefs. See, there has to become a pivotal point in our life. Do you know what that pivotal point is? You know that moment as a kid when you're running up and down seesaws? Do we still have seesaws in playgrounds? No, too dangerous. Some of my best injuries were on seesaws. Do they still have those spinny things? Like those things that go really, really fast? Those things that teenage boy gets motorbike wheel on the back of it and spin it as fast as they can? You know those spinny things? I was on one of those spinny things once in a playground at Stall, and I heard on the radio that Elvis Presley had died. And I remember the moment. I remember the colour of the spinny thing. I remember that motion sickness that I was feeling at the time. It was a pivotal moment. It was a pivotal moment. I remember it like it was yesterday. Isn't that funny how when you hear certain things, they become entrenched in your life? I remember there was a day I was out the bush in Mildura cutting firewood, and I heard on the radio that uh, Lady Diana had passed away. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I, I remember it, it, it's instilled in my mind. I remember there was a day I was working on a car in my carport in Mildura, and I heard that Steve Irwin had passed away. I, I, rem- I remember the part of the car that I was working on in, in that moment. See, in life, there's pivotal moments. Moments where it's like it might be news comes or it might be a decision that's made. It it might be a moment. I I remember a moment when I jumped on the phone and I rang a young lady and I did the religious asking out thing. I said, do you want to come with me to the meeting we're having over at um, Nathalia? And she said, sure. And I went, yes. It's good to date in church, is it not? Oh, if I was a parent, I'd be standing on my chair going, yes, date in church. See, pivotal moments. See, there has to be a pivotal moment in our life when our belief changes. And when that pivotal moment is made and when that pivotal moment is done, it gives you something to hold on to. It gives you something to place your firmness of your life upon. Let's go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24 and verse 14 and 15 says, "'So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly.'" Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose whom you will serve. See, here's Joshua, and I don't know whether he's the frustrated leader in this moment, but I almost get that moment where he's the frustrated leader in this moment where it's like, come on, guys, just choose. Just make a choice. If you don't want to serve God, then don't serve him. But if you want to serve God, come on, let's serve him. And the difference between the two is choosing life and death. Verse 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua uses this as a pivotal moment in his life because he understood Joshua was one who served in the presence of God continually. 
If you read the context of Joshua's life, he was one who served in the Holy of Holies. He was one that knew the presence of God, and so therefore his choice had been cemented in the fact that he could not live without the presence of God. And so he challenges the people who were in and out of the presence of God. Little bit of this, little bit of that, little bit of the family of the Amorites, little bit of this and little bit of that. And all of a sudden he says, no, come on, people, let's choose. Let's make that choice. Let's hold firm to our belief. Because when we understand that he is the rock of our salvation, when we understand he is the high priest that has gone before us, when we understand that he is the one that has been tempted in all ways as we have been tempted, then we can go to him in our temptations and in the struggles of life knowing that he's been there before us. I think we forget that about Jesus some days, the fact that he's been there before us. Because sometimes as I was growing up, I'd go, yeah, but you don't understand God because you're God. You don't understand the struggle of my heart. You don't understand that temptation. You don't understand that. And then I read about the fact that he has been tempted in all ways as I was tempted and it sort of defuncts my argument. It sort of makes me realize in actual fact I came to a revelation at some point in my life that not only was he tempted in all ways that I'm tempted, but because the devil knew that he was the Christ, there would have been much more temptation upon him than there is upon me. Because the devil understood that if he could just get Jesus to sin once, then he'd won the victory. So our high priest gets us. He understands us. He understands grief. He understands pain. He understands those moments where it's like the bully comes. He understands those moments. He was tempted in all ways just as we're tempted. He understands our weaknesses. Jesus understands what it's like to grow up in a dysfunctional family. He understands that. You know why he understands that? Because Joseph, his dad, was not his dad. He understands what it's like to have a foster dad. He understands what it's like to be rejected from family and friends. He understands the loneliness of life. He understands everything that we go through. He has been there before us. But not just the past, he understands our future as well. Because this verse in Hebrews says that he's gone to heaven before us that he's already paved a way for us as well. So not only does he understand our past, he understands our present and he also understands our future as well. So our high priest gets us. I've had seasons in my life where I've struggled to find people who get me because my mind's a little bit different, isn't it, mother? Just the way it works is just a little bit different. There, a number of years ago I had some heart problems and... Um, you know when they hook you up to all those wires and the doctor goes, hmm, it's like, what's wrong? And he goes, no, there's nothing wrong, it's just different. And said, go on. <laughs> is that good difference or is that bad difference? And he goes, a normal heart will go, the electrical currents will flow into certain things. Yours does not flow, your heart does not, the, the currents, the electrical currents don't flow in the way a normal heart does. It actually does a little jump to the right. Just a little jump to the right. And then it comes back in line with where it should be. And he says, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. And honestly, church, I've grown up a lot of my life understanding that I'm a little bit different. My thinking's a little bit different. 
you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by stuff. I have to have stuff to entertain me in certain ways and, and that sort of thing where, where it's like if I'm not careful, those things can become a distraction in my life. But you know what? The Holy Spirit gets me in that. He understands that. He understands how he's put me together. He, he understands those things. He, he understands me. And, and so what he's done graciously in my life is he has provided in advance for me certain things where it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, that makes sense. Because he knows us better than he know ourselves, he's able to provide in advance for us. So because he gets us, we can come boldly to him. I'm going to read it again. Let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in... Uh, sorry, start again. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will, we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I love that verse. I love the fact that he says, come on, come boldly to my throne. Now, this is the picture sometimes that we have of the throne of God. We see God sitting on the throne with his judgment stick in his hand where he's like, send the next one in. Judge Judy. Anyone ever watch Judge Judy? I think it's hilarious. The episodes of Judge Judy I like the most is when the arrogant young bloke is standing there, and you can tell by the look on his face, he's an arrogant young bloke, and she just cuts him down. Why? Because she has the authority. And there was a point in her life where she has the power to bring in a charge called contempt of court, where she can actually add extra jail time to these people just for answering back to her. And so she has great authority. And if we're not careful, that's how we see the throne of God. We see him as the judge, person sitting on the throne with the scepter in his hand where it's like you cringe into his presence hoping that he's not going to tap you on the head, where you're not going to receive a rebuke from him. No, he says to come boldly to his throne. He says to come boldly. Come boldly to his throne. Not with arrogance, but come with humility. Not with well, you know what, whatever I've done is okay. No, we come with humility because we understand that he is the only one that can do it. And see, at the throne, we receive mercy and grace. I look at those two things and think to myself, why would I want to refuse coming to his throne when what is on offer is mercy and grace? I am fully aware of the things I've done. I am fully aware of the potential of the things you've done. Now, I don't know what you've done, but I understand humanity. Often I say to young guys when I'm talking to them about dating, I say this to them, it's not like I don't trust you, I just don't trust humanity. Because the problem with humanity is it can't be trusted some days. But you know what? Jesus understands that. And he says, come. And at his throne, at his presence, within his presence, this is what you receive. You receive mercy and grace, but not just you receive mercy and grace, you actually receive mercy and grace to actually help you in your time of need. In those times when you need it most, he understands that what he puts into our life, we need it the most. We need his mercy 
and His grace in our life to help us in those times when we are tempted beyond what we think we're able to bear. And so at His throne, so this is the picture. We have a great high priest who has gone before us, who has been where we are, who understands us completely, and He invites us into His presence, into His throne room, and we come not with arrogance but with humility to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Now, I don't know what situation you're facing this day, but I do know this, that there's mercy and grace waiting in the presence of God for you. See, we don't deserve it. I think about what I deserve in life. I don't deserve his mercy and grace. But you know what? He gives it to me anyway. He's fully aware, and I said it last night at Saturday Night Live, he is fully aware that we are not worthy. He gets it. He even told us. He wrote it in the Bible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He gets that we are not worthy. Yet what he does, he's, he offers us mercy and grace when we come to his presence. So I guess my question is, why do we stay away? When what's on offer is a high priest who understands us completely and is able to offer mercy and grace at the time when we need it. Can I get the musos to come back? Why don't you stand with me, church? Why don't you just close your eyes and I'm just going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom you established the fact that you understand us in our weaknesses. Jesus, I appreciate the fact that you came to earth just so you could experience the pain that we experience, so you could experience the loneliness, so you could experience the grief, so you could experience the frustration, so you could experience those feelings of being let down, Lord, so that you could experience all those reasons and excuses we have of why, why we shouldn't come to the Father. But you didn't allow those circumstances to drive you away from the Father, but you showed us that in the Father's presence is where our help is found. So our choice is this, help us to learn from your example. And Lord, we offer this next moment, this next moment of worship, as an opportunity for us to come near to you, for us to approach your throne boldly. And we thank you for what we're about to receive, Lord, mercy and grace. So Lord, I pray if anyone has been struggling with lifestyle issues, they've been choosing to let their own desires take them away from you, Lord, I pray this will be the moment where they make a pivotal choice. Lord, that even as we sing this song, there'll be a pivotal choice made in their life. And Lord, that what they'll do, Lord, is they won't ignore the calling and the, that, that sense of your Holy Spirit speaking to them even in this moment. Lord, but as you draw them and say, no, come on, come near. Come near. Come near in worship. Come to the throne so that I'm able to wrap my arms around you, so that I'm able to hold you tight, so I'm able to whisper into your ear the things needed for the next season. Lord, help us to be bold in those pivotal moments. Lord, and allow you, Lord, to set us up for success. Lord, in your kingdom, in your wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.